0: Welcome, and thank you for joining the broadcast today of Hope for the Heart. My name is William Rogers, bringing the message today out of the book of Revelation. And we are studying this book, going through it verse by verse, and it is proving to be a very exciting study. At least I hope that uh, if you've been following along, uh, you're getting a lot out of this. Uh, It's a tremendous challenge to be able to teach this book. So for the text today, I'm in Revelation chapter 13, As I look at this, I can't believe I'm this far already, but I'm in Revelation chapter 13, verses 4 through 10. And I want to read this for you, and if you have a copy of God's Word, I simply invite you to get your copy of the Bible and follow along with me as I begin reading in Revelation chapter 13. So, for this reading, I will begin in verse 4. The Word of God says in verse 4, And they worshipped the dragon, because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who is able to wage war with him? And there was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies, and authority to act for forty-two months was given to him. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And it was given to him to make war with the saints, and to overcome them. And authority over every tribe, and people, and tongue, and nation was given to him. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him, everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes." If anyone kills with a sword, with the sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. What a tremendous passage of scripture. And In fact, it doesn't take you but just a second to realize that uh, we have to be very careful with this and how we explain this. Uh, It's a tough thing to do. In fact, a lot of preachers and pastors just simply choose to stay away from the book of Revelation. I'm just one of those that happens to believe that Revelation chapter 1 is true, that we we can be blessed. I think it's in verse 3, that we are blessed to study and to obey these words and to heed these words. And so that's what we want to do. But think about this passage for just a minute. We're talking about, when it says the beast here, we're talking about the Antichrist. We've already looked at this. If you have not had a chance to go over some of these uh, passages or verses or have not been following along that close, I invite you to go back and listen to at least the beginning of chapter 13, verse 1 and 2. And and so you can get these uh, uh, symbols down and understand who they are. So when it says in verse 4, they worship the dragon, that is Satan himself. And because he gave his authority to the beast, that is the Antichrist. That is who we're labeling the Antichrist. So as you think about this, think about that we... we We believe, we that, uh, I say we, the believers who are into prophecy or study prophecy or love to hear passages about prophecy, which is what we're doing today, we believe we're close to the rapture of the church. In other words, we believe this book is about to happen. It will happen after we are taken out of this earth. And to think about that, if we are really that close, somewhere in this world could already be this child born, Already alive, a child who whose name will be uh, known throughout the whole world and he will be known by believers as the antichrist, he can even be an adult at this time. we do not know uh, you see the the one thing I have to communicate to people is that this is not a fantasy, this is not an illusion, this is not a dream this is this is not a figment of a fearful imagination. this is not some theologians. Uh, as one writer puts it, this is not some theologian's hallucination. This is divine promise. This is the word of God written in telling us this individual will come. There will actually be a man who will be Satan's false Christ, who will deceive the world. We would know him today by looking at him as what the scripture calls him, a beast, or, or what we also call him, or John calls him, uh, Paul calls him, the Antichrist. And so this Antichrist will deceive the whole world pretending to be the world's Messiah, the world's Deliverer, the world's Savior, the world's King, and even pretending to be the God of this world or God himself. And so the whole world will accept him. And I know it's a tough thing to understand and to believe, but will the whole world really accept him? Will the whole world buy into All that he is offering, will they follow him truly? Fall victim to his power is what's going to actually happen because they are going to follow him. He is going to be Satan's man and his agenda is going to be to destroy the nation of Israel so that they cannot be saved, uh, so that they cannot receive the kingdom. His desire is to prevent their salvation, prevent the kingdom itself, he will fight against all who believe in that day and massacre them all over the world. What a what an amazing thing. You would think this sounds like uh, a fictitious story, but imagine one day this is going to be the headlines. He will attempt to take over the world on behalf of Satan, which is where he'll get his power. Uh, and he is... Going to go after believers, that's, that's one of the hardest things to understand. So I want to jump right into this and begin looking at this. So I've got just a very brief outline today that, that I can follow, and I want you to follow along if you can, or if you choose to. Number one, I want us to look at the worship, uh, or the adoration, I mean. The adoration, last week we called it worship, and that's really what we're looking at, but it doesn't fit my outline, so I want to call it adoration. Uh, the adoration is found in verse four. I want to read it, just part of it. They worshiped the dragon, but that's based on verse three that says, "And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. So this amazement, this adoration here is is what we're looking at and his his adoration is, is a, it's a really a fascination by the world that turns to worship. It's one thing to follow a man. It's something else to assign him deity. It's one thing to follow this man. And then it's the second. Or a second thing would be to actually bow down to this man. And it says they actually worship the dragon because, now remember, you can substitute Satan in here. They worship Satan because Satan gives his authority to the Antichrist. Well, do they know what they're doing? We, we looked at this in part last week. We even titled last week's message, Worshiping the Antichrist. So if you haven't had a chance to hear that, go back and listen to that. And perhaps it will help you understand a little bit of this. Some of this will be repetitive. But they ask, who is like the beast? Who is able to wage war with him? You see, this fascination with him is based on this that we called, a, what we called last week would be a fake resurrection. This fake resurrection is something that is uh, going to get the attention of the world and is, it's going to cause these people to want to follow him. It's been suggested that, that you, it's hard to say really what that is in verse 3, but it says one of his heads was it, it had been slain and his fatal wound was healed. And we looked at that in somewhat detail last week. But it's, I believe it's really a fake death or a fake resurrection. Uh, not something hard to imagine that this man could actually be killed and could fabricate some kind of an electronic man or robot kind of a man who could make the whole world believe he's still alive. And I think that's going to be a very, very serious thought to give. Perhaps he does actually die. He doesn't come back. But this second beast that is rising up, known as the false prophet, which we'll look at next week, his job is to cause the world to to believe or to focus on him, this this God that he creates, his statue. And in that statue, he's given life as far as being able to talk. And we think that it probably means he's able to converse with people or to give commands and details. Anyway, whatever it is, the world is going to follow after this, this Antichrist, believing that whatever was is gone, and yet it's now come back. Uh, so we can't be dogmatic at this point. He does something that gives the world a sense that that whatever has happened, whether it's he did die, he's back, or whether it's uh, uh, something else related to the revived Roman Empire that's gone, or this, that's... Went into a disarray or pretty much died and come back. We don't really know until it gets closer, and we perhaps will know. But I think this is going to happen obviously after the rapture of the church, so we can't, we don't even want to dwell on that too much at this point. So there is this worldwide adoration that turns into worship, the world is actually amazed at him. And then, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4 says the Antichrist will take his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as God. Well, that's going to enhance the worship. Uh, it's going to uh, scare the the fool out of the, the, the Jews because the, the, even Jesus talks about that. When he takes his seat, which is what Daniel refers to as the abomination of desolation, when he takes his seat in that temple, uh, he tells the Jews to run. Men, get out of there. Run for the hills. And... Uh, I've even in fact I've even got a message on that one. If you go to back a couple, is I think it's run Israel run. And so in verse four, the the people will not love the truth in the Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse four. They will not love the truth of the gospel so as to be saved, and they are deceived, to the point that they literally will worship this man as though he is God. And I know, boy, that, that is a tough, tough thing to understand or even believe. But that is going to be the truth of the situation. They are going to worship, become Satan worshipers, worshiping uh, this authority and power that has been given to him. And will they understand it? Perhaps not. But they're going to understand that this man is worthy of their following. So number two I want to give you. uh, Number one is the adoration. Number two is his authority. And that's found in verse 5. I went through verse 4 kind of quickly because we covered a lot of that last week. Verse 5, and there was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies, and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. Well, if you will notice in this passage that there are some, there's a phrase that is here, and it's that phrase, in fact, if you look at verse 5, there was given to him, uh, that is the phrase that I want to look at. In fact, if you'll notice it again in verse 7, and it was given to him uh, again, it, it's listed. Well, who is it that has the power to be able to give him who is called Satan's man, who is demon-possessed with probably, as we have mentioned earlier, one of the highest of the angels from the abyss, or one of the demons from the abyss, uh, next to Satan himself, we will probably be the one of the most powerful demons. Well, who is it that can, can give this kind of authority? Who is it that can give him, the Antichrist, this? Look at what it says in verse 5. There was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies. So who is this that can give him this arrogance? Well, and who is it that restricts him? Well, there was given to him a mouth that speaks arrogant words and blasphemies, and there was given this limited time. Now, clearly, well, I say clearly. I don't think it's clearly because so many people read. In fact, I've got 19 different resources that I checked on this, and it is amazing what all is out there. But I think clearly the giver in both cases is is God himself. Now, that might amaze people, Because you're going to think, well, Satan doesn't. Because the the idea here is that Satan gives his authority. In fact, it even says it in verse 2. And the dragon gave him, the Antichrist, his power, his throne, with great authority. And then verse 5. and There was given to him a mouth-speaking, arrogant words and blasphemies. And a restricted time to do this. But I think it's clearly God, because there's no way that Satan would want to limit the operation of the Antichrist to three and a half years. Here you have a sovereign God establishing limits on Satan himself and the demon-possessed man, the Antichrist himself. So it is God who gives him the authority to act during this period of time only, the last three and a half years of the tribulation period, known as the Great Tribulation. It is God who gives him, believe it or not, it is God who gives him A mouth, literally, God steps out of the way and lets him say whatever he wants to say, and Satan is primarily an arrogant blasphemer. The sin that damned Lucifer in heaven was the sin of pride. We've looked at that even a couple of weeks ago. He's arrogant. The pride of such a nature has led him to blaspheme God. He's always blasphemed God. He always will until he is thrown into the lake of fire, which will come later, much later. So, God will replace <coughs> excuse me, his arrogance and pride is that has led him to blaspheme God, I think I said, and he wants to dethrone God and replace God with himself. And that's what 2 Thessalonians is all about. That's why he takes his seat in the temple and declares himself to be God so he can receive the worship and the adoration. But when you go back to Daniel If you were to go back to Daniel, um, and I meant go back to him, uh, because we've been there several times. In Daniel chapter 7, verses 8 through 20, there's just a couple of verses in there I want to draw your attention to. In verse 8, this man, this Antichrist is called the little horn, has eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth uttering great boast. Well, there's another look. So in other words, Daniel is able to see the same one that John sees. Verse 11 says, I kept looking because the sound of those boastful words which the horn was speaking, I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body was destroyed and given to burning fire. Well, this we'll take a look at that later. But then down in verse 20 of the same chapter, Daniel 7, uh, here again we read in the middle of the verse, this horn again is described as having eyes and a mouth uttering great boast. And then in verse 25 he gets real specific. He will speak out against the Most High. And again, Daniel tells us, it will be for a limited period of time. He gives the, the three, uh, that is three and a half, 42 months or three and a half years. And then in chapter 11, we see it again. And we look at this in the past. And I, I just want to remind you of it. It says, He will exalt, verse 36, and magnify himself above every God. Well, that's the pride. And that's also what's what the, uh, Paul sees in the letter of Second Thessalonians and will speak uh, blasphemous things against the God of gods and he will prosper only until the indignation is finished for that which is decreed will be done. Namely, and I'm referring to uh, because of what Daniel says, his judgment, his damnation, the coming kingdom. In verse 37, he will show no regard for the gods of his father. Utterly and absolutely and totally irreligious, because the only one that Satan worships is himself. He is not going to bow to God. He will show no regard for any other God. In the verse 37, he will magnify himself above them all. And that's what 2 Thessalonians is really saying. He is taking his seat in the temple, displaying himself as being God. So his arrogance is unequaled. It is the arrogance of Satan himself. It is the arrogance that caused Lucifer to be kicked out of heaven. God allows him three and a half years of arrogant operation. Man, this is is going to be a a tremendously strange yet weird yet fearful time on this earth. That period of time, as I noted, is, is referenced a number of times in Daniel's prophecy as well as the book of Revelation. We saw it in Daniel chapter 11 and even in Daniel chapter 12. Now, all that's to say, blasphemy is not just something that's incidental. I want you to understand that this blasphemy that he's talking about here in verse 5 is basically... Uh, the central focus of everything that he does and everything that he is. When he speaks, it is blasphemy, total disregard for God, setting himself up for God. This is the heart and the soul and the characteristic of the Antichrist operation. This is really, in a nutshell, who he is. It's not subtle. It's not covert. Once he gets into power, it's open, outrageous, and it is blatant blasphemy against God. Wanting to emphasize that in verse 6, he sees the vision. He says he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name. He literally, I think, identifies with the blaspheming world. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean that the whole world's going to be blaspheming God. Uh, at least all the unbelievers will. I think. I think we have to realize that by this time the world has felt all the, 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 the all the terrible things of the, the, the uh, uh, wrath of God, the judgment of God. It took me a second to, to realize what I wanted to say. I get. I kind of get wound up here so much. But he literally, I think, identifies with them because of what they are doing, and we see that. So clearly, like for example, Revelation chapter 16, when the fourth bowl comes, men were scorched with fierce heat. And of course, we'll look at that later. They blasphemed the name of God, it says. And when the fifth angel poured out his bowl and the throne and his kingdom became dark, they gnawed their tongues with pain because of pain and they blasphemed the God of heaven. So, this antichrist literally rules a world of blasphemers. So no wonder he's blaspheming. They've gotten good training. They know just how to do it. They know just what to say because their leader has been doing it, and they are simply copying him. It's really amazing thing. These blasphemers have been so trained that verse 6 says, they blaspheme against God to blaspheme his name. This is who he is. Uh, it is a summation of all of his attributes. They blaspheme God. They blaspheme. Look at what it says. They blaspheme his attributes or his characteristics. They will blaspheme his tabernacle, it says, in verse 5. Oh, actually verse uh, to, 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 to open his mouth. Yeah, th- no, verse 6. They will blaspheme the the name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Uh, that's heaven. Uh, this is Those who dwell in heaven, that's blaspheming God's character, God's abode. They will blaspheme everybody who dwells there with him. So he's even going to be blaspheming us in heaven from the earth. This is literally a a man who is out of control, but yet he's ruling the world. He's going to blaspheme. If these folks, these angels, those redeemed and glorified saints who are before the throne serving him day and night in the temple... Uh, there were, It says they will hunger no more, thirst no more. Uh, those whose son whose beat down on them, once they get to heaven, and the angels as well, he will lead the whole population of the earth blaspheming him. Blaspheming God. And, and that is a, a, a actually a, an amazing thing to even think that, that he's going to win or that he can influence. He can't. So, that being said, I, that's uh, number one was his adoration. Number two is his authority. But then number three, I want you to see his activity in these verses. His activity. His activity begins in verse seven, and uh, this is a, a frightening thing to, to to read, and it's hard to even cover it. But we we have to cover it. Uh, look at verse 7, we move into his activity and it was given to him again by God who never relinquishes his sovereignty. It was given to him to, here it is, to make war with the saints. Now remember, the church is gone, but there are people being saved. There are lots of people being saved during the tribulation period. I know someone contacted me and said, boy, that was a relief. Because if for some reason they missed the rapture, they have another chance to be saved. Well, I could give you a couple of verses on that one. But and they may or may not. But it says to make war with the saints and to overcome them with authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. He will rule the world, and his particular object of this venom or this blasphemy is going to be the saints. So, uh, number three, his activity on the outline here, we're looking at number one on that, under that, and that will be his blasphemy. Is going to be, or the object of this blasphemy is going to be the saints. Well, the, the saints. Uh, boy, I tell you what, when you look at this, Daniel chapter 7 again says it in verse 25. It says, and the, here's a powerful verse. Remember, the, there were there's going to be Christians living and hearing this man's blasphemies. They're going to know who this leader is. They're going to be probably fear of their life over this leader because he's coming after them. But look at what Daniel, if you have a chance, just make note of these verses. Daniel seven twenty five. It says this in Daniel. He, the Antichrist, will wear out the saints of the highest one. These are believers. These are worshipers of God. He'll go after them. He'll wear them out. He will destroy them. What a powerful verse that is. It's a frightening verse, but it is a real verse that God is going to allow him this. Now, that, that's a, a hard thing to understand, but in, in, Dan, in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, in the middle of the week, he stops the sacrifice of the grain offering, which Israel is carrying on, and abominates and desolates the temple. And I think that really kicks off the middle point of the tribulation period. But this hatred and this fury against the saints in his murderous intent. Daniel 11 says he will honor a God of fortresses. That means a God of might, a God of power, a God of force. He will be a great soldier and he will command a great army. Y'all, we're talking about a man who is uh, soon to be on the center stage of the world. Leading the world and making decisions for the world. Jesus warned about this in Matthew 24, when he talks about the abomination of, of desolation. Uh, in Revelation 6, we see martyrs that, that are going to die from this that are already up in heaven. So there's going to be a massive massacre on the earth. There will be a great revival on the earth as well, but there's going to be a great revival on the earth. In chapter 7 of Revelation, we see a multitude from all over the globe standing before the Lamb, standing in heaven. Those who have come out of the great tribulation had their robes washed uh, white in the blood of the Lamb. And again, many of those who have been martyred uh, because of this killing machine known as the Antichrist. It's a horrible thing to think about that. But they will wage war. Uh, these will wage war against the Lamb, that is, the allies and adversary of the beast himself. They will overcome them because he is Lord of lords and King of kings. Uh, but the Antichrist will lead a worldwide slaughter. This is the point here a slaughter of believers. You'd say, well, wow, how can that happen? Well, imagine being a believer during that time. You're going to see how it's going to happen, and you're going to see how the world's going to believe that and follow that. I should say a worldwide slaughter of believers as well as attempting to wipe out all of the Jews. The Antichrist will be so vicious, he would even kill his own. We're going to see that in chapter 17. But uh, there's a note here, and I want to get into this before we get too long and I can't cover it. There's a note, back in chapter 13, it says, "Given him uh, the power and authority to make war with the saints and to overcome them." So number one is the object, which is the saints, but two is overcome them. Now listen carefully. He does not have the power to destroy their faith. He only has the power to take their life, to kill them physically. And that's important to note. There is nothing that can destroy their faith. It's This is true. Nothing. No principality, no power. Romans 8 says... Nothing that is, is, it's not a question of the Antichrist destroying their faith. The faith that God gives us is a a real faith. It's a lasting faith. It's a persevering faith. It's a permanent faith. We are more than conquerors, Romans says, but he will overcome them in the physical realm and take their life. And beyond that, killing activity in verse 7, he has the authority over every tribe, people, tongue, nation, and there is a phrase here that refers to the whole of the unregenerate population. So I want to look at this uh, by looking at uh, his activity. Yeah, it's going to go into murderous rampage of a of, uh, uh, object of his blasphemies, go after the saints and Israel. But there's a scope to this. We see this in, in this scope. In fact, it says it. All who dwell on the earth, in fact, it says it in verse 8, all who dwell on the earth will worship him. Boy, it doesn't get any clearer than that. I want you to hear this carefully everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the Lamb's book of life. So who is that? Who does not have their name written in the Lamb's book of life? Well, unbelievers don't. But who has their name written in the Lamb's book of life? All believers. All of them. So at the point of when this happens, there may be some out there that are are believers. And there may be some that are yet to be believers, but they will be believers because their name has been written in the Lamb's Book of Life from the foundation of the world. Now, I want you to catch that. Uh, Boy, there is a mixed bag of opinion about what this says, but it says, all who dwell on the earth will worship him. That is, everyone whose name has not been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So as a believer today, if you're hearing this message, When you were saved, was that when your name was entered into the Lamb's Book of Life? No, it was not. It was in the Lamb's Book of Life before you were ever born. This says it was there before the foundations of the earth, and I believe that means before the earth was created. I know there's people who don't agree with that. I don't know how they don't agree with that, but that's just what it says. This verse says those whose names are not written in the lamb's book of life will worship the antichrist everyone on the whole planet but and here's the word i know that people are going to frown at everyone but the very elect of god all who dwell on the earth will worship him is what verse four essentially says they will worship the dragon they worship the beast second thessalonians 2 10 says it this way with all the deception of wickedness for those who perished because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. there was the rejecters or the unbelievers. It doesn't say, notice it doesn't say the non-elect. It says those who wouldn't believe. That's always there to balance off the phrase the elect. Those who are saved are the elect. Those who are lost are those who don't believe. Unbelief damns and faith saves. The saints is what we're talking about here. There's a limiting factor in verse 8. In other words, the saints are not going to bow down and worship him. They're just not going to do it. In fact, we're going to see this again in chapter uh, the same chapter beginning when the, uh, false, uh, the, the false prophet comes on, on the scene. The elect won't. They won't. This is a great statement about the elect. Believers are identified in this way in the book of Revelation as those whose names have been written before the foundations of the earth. Folks, I know that people reject this, and I know why. That they want to reject it because the flesh wants to think that, that we had a part in our salvation. And we did in the sense that we received the gift that God has given to us of repentance. We didn't just repent one day because we wised up. We just suddenly realized, hey, i, I got to get smart with this and repent. No, that's not what happened. God saved you. God did this. And I don't want to get too much into that because I know it's, it's uh, distracting for some. They just can't see it. But the elect here, the book of life, by the way, is mentioned seven times in the book of Revelation. And the book of life is simply the book in which God inscribes the names of the elect. You see, this, there's a song out there that says, there's a new name in glory. No, there's never a new name in glory. He doesn't add names to this book. And guess what? He doesn't blot names out either. Some people believe that when you're born physically, your name goes into the Lamb's book of life. And if you don't accept Christ by the end of your life, then he takes an ink pen and he blots out your name. That's, there's no evidence of that in anywhere in the scripture. And I think that is to minimize the sovereignty of God. It, it, totally. But the book is simply a book in which God inscribes the names of the elect before the foundations of the earth. Uh, in, in fact, look, Matthew twenty four twenty four says something about this. The false Christ, false prophets will arise. They're going to show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. But is it possible? No. That's why the thing is phrased like that. The eternal registry of the elect has no excommunication capability. Man, it can't hinder. It can't stop. It can't reverse. It can't change a thing about that. And so I want to have to. I'm going to have to stop right here and continue with this next week. There won't be much to continue, and we'll go right into the false prophet. But I just want you to understand that that verse eight is talking about the believers on earth, and gives them the assurance, man. You do not have to to fear the fact that he can possibly take your life or will take your life. Your name has been written in heaven, and you're going to be with me soon, man. What better comfort for believers during this time than that. Then he even comes along with another verse, and we're going to take a look at that next time. So for now, this is William Rogers, and I thank you so much for listening to this broadcast of Hope for the Heart and our study of the book of Revelation. Continue reading and studying and be aware that, boy, the signs of the times are here. It's close, uh, and I, I just pray that you will read your Bible daily and not take it for granted, and then share this with people the fact of his soon return. Thank you again for joining us today.